This series gives you a direct line to the pinnacle traders. We're covering everything from when the odds are initially posted to looking at how the market might react. This is the opening line. We're back again and it's time to take a closer look at the matchups from week 5 in the NFL. Fortunately I've managed to pull Adam Chernoff away from his barbecue to help shed some light on the upcoming games. How are you Adam? Doing well, ready for week 5. Good stuff. As always we'll just jump straight into it. First up we've got the Arizona Cardinals at the Cincinnati Bengals and Cincinnati opened up at minus 4 for this one with the over under at 48. They dropped down to minus 3 and the over under has dropped with that 2 to 46.5. Now... Both these teams are yet to get a win. People are buying into the Beng- People were buying into the Bengals early in the season, but they seem to have gone off them a little bit. And it seems like no one really trusts Kyler Murray for the Cardinals. So, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, line itself very much fueled by what we saw in Monday Night Football. Uh, initial sort of look ahead lines, but also some early openers on this had the Bengals right around the four point five favorite. Then, of course, Monday Night Football, the game of the week that everybody's watching, they see the Bengals go out and get beat. By the Pittsburgh Steelers, 24-3. to uh, Offense looked putrid, to say the least. I think that's being somewhat complimentary in favor of the Cincinnati Bengals. So not a surprise to see this number come down. Um, not really something that you could really hold up there as a bookmaker at like four and a half with the Bengals after that. Uh, Arizona, as you mentioned, it's it's a weird situation with Kyler Murray, right? Because you're watching, you're watching the game, and at least from my perspective, it's seems like when you're watching the game, which is a bit difficult to see downfield, but that he has receivers open. And then you go back and you watch expanded angles, and there's certainly opportunities for him to push the ball downfield. But there's almost like they're conceding the short underneath throw with him consistently. There were a number of times last week against the Seahawks where he was throwing simple screen passes on strange down and distances, but still hitting his running back, David Johnson, in the back with those screen passes. So there's just no patience. There's no willingness to push the ball downfield. It's really strange in Arizona, and it's now we're sort of seeing the combination of a rookie head coach and quarterback not really able to make things work. But potentially that could change against Cincinnati going on the road. Uh, we're looking at a defense which has allowed just above 50% of passes to great successful against them. Uh, it has come a bit against a bit of a more difficult schedule, but really the teeth of this Cincinnati defense is in their front seven. The same really applies for Arizona, where we're looking at, uh, in terms of success rate, the third worst secondary down-to-down in the NFL. So uh, two offenses, which the market really hasn't seen move the ball in a couple of weeks. Now we're seeing this total come down just a little bit. Probably no interest from me on the side, but from... Looking at this number of 47, it comes down any more. I uh, certainly think that there's value beginning to open up with the over in this one. I, th- I think I've asked this question before with regards to Kyler Murray. Obviously, I mean, better as if they're, they're with the Cardinals are probably going to lose patience after four or five weeks. But I mean, this guy, he's gone through the, the levels of football. He's played college football. He's obviously been scouted by the Cardinals so is it a case of just time will tell and he will get there or is it something that you can only tell once they get into the big league like I said it's really weird watching the tape because there's opportunities for him to have success and I don't know if it's him being a little bit gun shy and not being able to pull the trigger on some of these throws or it's sort of a a forced effort from Kingsbury on the sideline trying to protect them a little bit within the games. It's I think if he we saw him against Baltimore move the ball downfield very well against the defense that a lot of people within the market are quite high on. So the opportunity is certainly there for him to do it. 
Um, it's just, I, again, I think it's it's something coming from the sidelines, which is just holding him back. So hopefully an easier defense sort of furthers that learning process for him this week. So now we've got the Baltimore Ravens at the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Baltimore have dropped half a point from minus four to minus three and a half, while the over-under has gone up a touch from 42 and a half to 44. Now, the Ravens obviously started the season strong against two pretty weak teams, but they've dropped off recently. The Steelers have kind of gone the other way after struggling. They, they, they've started to look a bit better in recent weeks. It seems like there's, there's not much to read into from the market, but do you have any strong feelings on this one? Yeah, we've seen a little bit of money come in on the over, and that's certainly a side that I would agree with as well. Um, you hate to point to sort of past perceptions of both of these teams, but I think a lot of people will approach this game with the mindset that it's an AFC North battle that's going to be physical, these two teams. Uh, a lot of familiarity between the players as well as the coaching staff, and they're sort of going to go at it in the trenches. But what really needs to be noted is this Baltimore secondary. A number of injuries to their cornerbacks. They have struggled mightily defending any team that can spread out and move the ball downfield through the air. Um, just looking at their last three weeks, they gave up 40 to the Browns a week ago, gave up 33 to the Chiefs. And then even though the Cardinals, they only gave up 17. You look at Kyler Murray, he threw for 350 yards. We just talked about how much he struggled. So that was his best game of the week. And you have to look at that situation-wise. Uh, he was making his first road start in the NFL, as was head coach Cliff Kingsbury. So um, from a coverage perspective, if we're just looking at the Baltimore Ravens by themselves, 23rd graded coverage unit in the NFL, which is very rare for this defense, which has been among the league's best for the last number of years. But still, the injuries to their cornerbacks appear like they're going to hold through this week again. Um, so it gets very interesting. The big issue with the over that I have there's obviously two sides to every handicap. As you're looking at Mason Rudolph, his time with the Pittsburgh Steelers so far, he's averaged just six intended air yards per throw, and a lot of that's inflated by that Monday night performance where he had a couple long catch and runs. Uh, but we're looking at just how how willing he is to push the ball downfield uh, at six air yards per throw. That's third lowest in the NFL for the regular season, just above Teddy Bridgewater, who's become one of the more notorious short passers in the NFL filling in for Drew Brees. And then we look at sort of, you can parse that out a little bit, and we see that on all receptions, his uh, average just 3.3 air yards per catch. That's, again, second lowest in the NFL. So you're looking at a Ravens defense where you want to attack them deep, but we just haven't seen Mason Rudolph be able to find any connection with his receivers deep down the field. From the Pittsburgh Steelers' defensive perspective, um, while they have sort of generated a lot of pressure within their front seven, uh, you look at their secondary, 55% of passes from opponents grading successful so far this season. The addition of Minka Fitzpatrick was supposed to help that. Haven't necessarily seen enough to be able to make that judgment um, yet, but this secondary, very problematic, and I think a lot worse than uh, a lot of the market is giving it credit for this total open around 42.5. It's already been bet up two points. Uh, still thinking anything less than 45, you might see some value here looking at the over. So now the Chicago Bears against the Oakland Raiders and Pinnacle opened this one at Chicago minus five with 41.5 point over under. There's been barely any movement with just a point coming off the total here. So it's it's the first of the international series as the NFL comes to London. A lot of the narrative's kind of been about Khalil Mack and what's gone on there. But as far as the, the numbers that matter are concerned, how should betters be looking at this one? Well, I'll put you on the spot here. So the new stadium at Tottenham has a retractable roof. Do you know if that's true? Yes or no? 
Uh, I know the the pitch comes from below the the soccer pitch, doesn't it? I'm not sure about a retractable roof. So I've been looking through, and uh, there's mentions of like a mesh roof. Mentions of like there's nothing too definitive about it. But um, if you do look at the forecast, there is plenty of rain. But we're sort of going to step aside from the rain because I think that in a new stadium as innovative as this one, that there's going to be the ability to sort of prevent that, whether or not that roof is hard or not, which is difficult to find. Um, but as you mentioned, really the big thing to watch in this game, and we'll get to the defenses in a second, but you're looking at the first time that two football teams have ever played on this surface, which from my understanding of the stadium, there's the artificial, there's the natural turf on top, which is used for soccer matches. But then you're looking at that moving out of the way to produce a artificial turf, which is going to be used for these NFL games when teams come over to play in this stadium. And it's the situation where we've seen pretty commonly for new stadiums, especially international stadiums, the pitches using sort of different types of turf that's not necessarily readily available like it is in the U.S. These are obviously very expensive fields to not only move, but then obviously to put in place. So we've seen it where... There has been pitch issues with international stadiums in the past, with this being the first time. Not necessarily expecting that to be the case, but certainly something to keep in mind as you watch these two teams play, given the style of play that they have. Oakland, very much a quick passing offense. The ball comes out of Derek Carr's hand extremely fast. So it's probably going to be sped up just a little bit more going against this Bears defense, which is all about pressure. Um, so if there's any way to negate the pass rush, the Raiders certainly can do it. We've seen that a little bit in week one against the Broncos, a team that likes to play with a similar rate of pressure to that of the Chicago Bears. Oakland had plenty of success moving the football um, on the Chicago Bears. But this gets in as interesting from a line perspective. We saw this line open around six and it was bet down. Mitchell Trubisky starting quarterback for the Bears. Uh, he's not going to be playing in this game, which opens the way for Chase Daniels. A lot of the market is looking at that as a positive for the Chicago Bears. I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, reps in practice obviously tell a very different story. Um, game planning around the certain quarterback styles. You're looking at very different athleticism between the two quarterbacks. Trubisky has been beat up pretty bad in the media, but I'm not going to go as far to say that this is a step up for the Chicago Bears. And I think the market reflected that, and we're sort of starting to see it come back. But from the total perspective, Again, you combine that surface in with the style of play that the Bears' defense matches up against the Raiders' offense. Not likely that we're going to see a lot of explosive plays. And unfortunately for the international series, we might see a game that's pretty low scoring, a lot of defense featuring in this one. The Bears not really a team that can attack this Raiders' defense deep, which is their biggest weakness. So it could turn into a pretty ugly game. And if that surface has anything to say about it, uh, especially if it happens to get a little bit wet. Um, not Again, not entirely sure on the roof situation, which is kind of a mystery at the moment um, to whether or not it'll be open or closed. But um, just that new surface, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, a lot of question marks around this one. So it's a stay away from a betting perspective, but a couple things to watch out for, for sure. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I was going to ask that, obviously, it's a, a relative unknown with the surface, but it kind of puts the, the better in the same position as the bookmaker. It's one of those ones where no one really knows what's going to happen. So you say it's maybe a, a stay away one. Do you think there's people that might perhaps say the opposite and say, oh, it's almost something that could play to your advantage because you're you're on a level playing field with the bookmaker? I, I'm not sure that it, like, if if you have information right or wrong about the surface that's very dramatic, then obviously it could work to your advantage. Um, if it's just sort of going to be a general thing, like I get the feeling it's going to play out. Um, 
this game very different from, say, a Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio, a preseason game in Winnipeg, Manitoba, or a regular season game in Estadio Azteca in Mexico City. I'm pretty confident that the grounds crew over there uh, in your neck of the woods is going to be able to sort this one out and not have any issues. But again, with it being artificial turf, uh, with it coming really the first time it's being used, this new sort of mechanism that's installed in the stadium to roll the other one out and bring the other one in. You never know if it's a little bit slick, a little bit crisp, how that plays out. Um, it's it's tough to sort of apply it to a full game, but if there's information out there to, to tell otherwise, then it could provide value, but not really something that I'm necessarily seeking out on my own. Yeah, I'm not too sure about the roof, but I do know that the pints of beer pull from the bottom up, so how about that? Well, there we go. <laughs> you, you could apply elsewhere in the stadium. Right, so Jacksonville Jaguars at the Carolina Panthers, and we've got another one here where the traders got it spot on according to the market reaction. We've had a little bit of back and forth since opening, but it's currently sat on Carolina minus three and a half and the over-under at 41. Now, I know you're not a big Gardner Minshew fan. We've also got Kyle Allen in the max, in the mix here, and he stepped in for the Panthers. Is this one all about the quarterbacks, or does the absence of Nick Foles and Cam Newton, does that bring everything else into play here? So... I think that the we already know what the step down from Foles to Minshew was, right? It was six points. We were able to see that. Again, those six points slightly warped because of the numbers across. So we can probably call it four and a half. Minshew has stepped in. Uh, he's done well in terms of getting results. But you, you look at who the results were against. It required a late-minute drive to be competitive against the Texans, who we know play some of the softest coverage in the NFL. Uh, required another late last-minute drive against the Broncos, who have immense locker room issues throughout their secondary and defense. And then they beat up on a Titans team on a short week on Thursday night football, um, who are probably the biggest case of Jekyll and Hyde in the NFL, but I still think one of the most overpriced defensive units in the entire league. So um, interesting from that perspective. We have seen Minshew a little bit more willing to move the ball downfield. Uh, his air yards per throw were extremely low in those early weeks. Now we're looking at 7.7 per attempt, which will rank uh, right around 23rd in the NFL. Uh, his receiver is not really helping him out a great deal, um, just 5.8 yards per catch. Um, that's, again, sort of that bottom third, just below average within the league. But you weigh it against the defenses that he's faced, um, and that gets sort of distorted a little bit out of proportion. So, I Again, I'm not necessarily a buyer into Gardner Minshew. I think that this team had very clear issues um, coming into the season from a playmaking perspective. And that's sort of being ignored now because of the Minshew hype and, and everything that's coming along with him and the mustache and all the narrative that's traveling through the media. Um, Jack, the big story for me really is the step back for the Jacksonville defensive unit. Uh, we look at their coverage grade overall, and they're in the bottom five of the NFL pass rush overall has been pretty non-existent. They've struggled missing a lot of tackles, which is unusual for the Jags defense. You've got the Jalen Ramsey drama sort of creating issues within that locker room and number of injuries to the defense. Uh, it's grading out as one of the bottom seven defenses in the NFL. And this has long been the strength of this team that's kept them competitive in games. Now they have to go on the road to face the Carolina Panthers who uh, without Cam Newton, again, we saw what that sort of downgrade was and just given the style of play that Cam Newton was going through um, it wasn't necessarily a huge downgrade 
when you're looking at the replacement of Kyle Allen, just because Cam Newton was so ineffective, he didn't have his legs, he was throwing the highest rate of uncatchable balls in the NFL, and now Kyle Allen steps in, adds a little bit of athleticism with his legs, but also the ability to be accurate getting the ball to his playmakers, and it's really been about spreading the field and getting the ball into the hands of these guys who can make plays, and whether it's McCaffrey or Moore or Samuel on the outside, um, now with Greg Olson involved, uh, we're looking at back-to-back games where there's been at least five receivers with 30 yards or more throughout the air. Uh, McCaffrey's been extremely good, getting a huge number of touches out of the backfield, but then also receiving as well. It's becoming a very difficult offense to defend. And when we look at the defense of the Panthers, that's probably where the biggest surprise come from. And Perry Fuel, who's the defensive back coach, who actually came over from Jacksonville. We look what he did in Jacksonville back-to-back years where he took over the Jags defensive unit and took them into the number one and number two rank in the NFL in back-to-back seasons. Now we're looking from just a coverage grading perspective, and the Panthers are right there in the top of the league so far through four weeks, which is an enormous step up for a secondary that was really anticipated to be one of the sort of bottom eight units in the league, and this was going to be the weakness of the defense. Now they're playing extremely good in coverage. Ron Rivera comes out, says they're going to play more of their 4-3 base defense against the Jags, which means that they're going to sort of force everything underneath, but also be very stout against the run as Leonard Fournette's emerged the last two weeks. So the traders were spot on with this one. Uh, they said that there was going to be plenty of Jacksonville money coming in, but they were sort of digging in their heels at this number. We haven't seen it budge off three and a half for the last 48 hours. Don't anticipate that it will. Certainly think that there's value back in the Carolina Panthers here. So now we've got the Minnesota Vikings and the New York Giants and some slight movement here, but nothing major as far as the actual numbers are concerned. Minnesota from minus five to minus five and a half with the over under coming down a point from 44 and a half to 43 and a half. So it's a, it's been a bit of a mixed bag for the Vikings so far this season, but they've been pretty much in line with expectation. The Giants started poorly and then Daniel Jones come in. He's, he's two and oh. I mean, obviously, that means that the Giants are a completely new team. They're going to go to the Super Bowl. They're going to walk over whoever's in their way. Right, Adam? You said that with incredible sincerity. (laughs) Obviously, obviously some sarcasm in those comments. We talked about that last week. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes in betting, you go ahead and you take the number on Wednesday, and then Thursday afternoon, you find out that the best wide receiver on the team blew out his hamstring, and then half a quarter into the game, you find out that the coach is going to completely revert against what he's, what he's been saying for the last four months and throws in a rookie quarterback and start of Case Keenum. So now not only did the Giants sort of dodge the narrative about their defense um, and because of Daniel Jones and his hype through that week against Tampa Bay, uh, but now they've also dodged the bullet again for a second consecutive week as they get the Washington Redskins or rather a shell of the Washington Redskins who are one of the more efficient passing units through the first three weeks prior to that game. So it's really becoming the same handicap against the Minnesota Vikings looking at that secondary. And where it gets a little bit interesting is um, probably one of the bigger stories in the week, in the news, in the media, is what's going on with the Minnesota Vikings offense. And we've seen the same story repeat the last three weeks for all the quarterbacks who have faced the Chicago Bears defense because that defensive unit is... Probably, if not the best, uh, certainly in the top three in the NFL so far this year. And they've had a way of making quarterbacks look extremely bad. And everybody loves to jump on Kirk Cousins after a poor performance. And that's exactly what happened after that game last Sunday afternoon where the Chicago Bears defense embarrassed them. But that was sort of fueled with 
Adam Thielen, the star wide receiver, coming out after the game and, and really calling out Cousins and the offensive coaching staff, not necessarily directly, uh, but you could sort of read between the lines where he was going with that. And then that forced Kirk Cousins to go in on Wednesday morning and make an apology to him and the team. It also was then fueled by Stefan Diggs not showing up to practice on Wednesday and trade rumors swirling around. So now we're almost five days removed from that game. And the talk is still about this Vikings offense and how much they're struggling. So that's really doing a lot to fuel the market. Um, overall, a lot of better seeing the Giants at five, five and a half, and certainly interested. But we haven't seen this number budge, just like we didn't see it budge last week, because the story is just how bad this Giants secondary is. And while I don't think it's necessarily only on the secondary this week, where I see a lot of issues, is in the linebacking core for the Giants. They have the potential to be without their starting three linebackers from the beginning of the season with the injury to Connolly last week keeping him out for the season he's been a key piece for this defense a couple of interceptions a ton of tackles really guiding this linebacking core in the absence of Tay Davis and Alec Ogletree and you consider that against the strengths of the Minnesota Vikings offense which is running the football with an outside zone scheme with Dalvin Cook who's now seems to be returning to his form post-injury uh, but we look at him running the football, the Vikings' willingness to run the football. In order to stop an outside zone scheme, you need a ton of downfield pressure. You have to be really disciplined within the gaps. Uh, and there has to be a lot of continuity between the linebackers. And you look at the Giants potentially starting three new guys this week. If there's a team you don't want to do that against, it's the Minnesota Vikings. And we talked last week about parables when grading teams uh, we managed to make a number of cases to why the Giants defense very comparable to that of the Oakland Raiders in many cases worse didn't necessarily want to do the other comparable which is the Miami Dolphins as we're sort of removing those Dolphins numbers from a lot of the rankings but you compare them to the Raiders Vikings happened to play the Raiders in week two. It was their most successful game on offense because the running game, they could do whatever they want. We're not getting held to negative plays. We're consistently ahead of the down and distance. And that really opened up things for Kirk Cousins, who didn't have an enormous game, but he was efficient enough to move the football. So the weakness of the Giants' defense overall is the secondary. The defense does not generate a lot of pressure, but now you add in this gap at linebacker against this running scheme of Minnesota, that certainly opens up the door for the Vikings offense to have a ton of success, both on the ground and passing. This narrative really going against the Minnesota Vikings and their offense, really holding this number down, too, and providing a lot of value on the Vikings. And we haven't gotten into Daniel Jones yet, which is really the big question mark. He's faced two defenses, bottom eight in the league, um, we saw what happens when a run pass option quarterback like Daniel Jones doesn't have his main running option in Saquon Barkley uh, last week. It was the first game where a team could game plan against the Giants without Barkley. We saw the numbers for Jones dip, especially under pressure, 7.0 yards per attempt to 3.7. From a clean pocket, his air yards went from 10.1 to 5.2 uh, completions above 10 yards or more downfield he had one compare that to interceptions he had two so not only was he making bad decisions reading the coverage he was struggling under pressure his willingness to throw downfield went down when he doesn't have that crutch of the run game next to him very different quarterback to game plan against and you look at the minnesota defense now a top eight unit but arguably one of the most difficult defenses to read in coverage 
and in blitz. And that's something that Daniel Jones struggled with in college. It's something any rookie quarterback is going to struggle against in the NFL against the Minnesota Vikings. It's what they do well. Um, I think this is going to be a nightmare game for Jones as he quickly comes back to earth after sort of beating up on two really bad defenses. Now he gets one of the most difficult defenses to read. And the defense is not going to be able to give him much help on the other side of the ball. So he's going to be forced to play catch up, which means the pass rush wide open off the edge for the Vikings. This could get ugly in a hurry. Don't think five and a half is enough points here. We're probably looking at a number that should be six and a half, seven. So certainly value on the Vikings this week. And a quick disclaimer, I didn't mean those comments on the Giants and I'm not advocating a bet on them to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's probably a pretty favorable price. You're looking at a pretty enormous number for that at the moment. So we'll move on to the New England Patriots at the Washington Redskins and, and no surprises to see the Patriots are big favourites here. They opened up at minus 14 and a half. They've seen a consistency of action, plenty of action on them and it's only just been pushed out to minus 15. The over-under has actually dropped from 45 and a half to 42. Um, the Redskins have got Haskins coming in. New England's defence is probably pretty high on a list of those you don't want to face on your first start. Do you think this one's going to be as one-sided as the market suggests? Yeah, I, I think it would be tough to make a case that it wouldn't be. You get, again, like you mentioned, quarterback uncertainty for the Redskins. Uh, really a statement sent to the team by Jay Gruden, who consistently said Haskins was not NFL ready. He is not game ready. We're sticking with Keenum. We're moving through things with him. We're going to get through it. Um, really disregarded all of that. It was four weeks of talk plus the preseason before that. Uh, and just gone out the window. And we saw Haskins get hung out to dry. And it, he wasn't even trying to protect them. Uh, he was calling plays downfield. Haskins was airing it out. I mean, it, it really looked like a quarterback who should not be in the NFL throwing against a secondary in the New York Giants, which arguably should not be in the NFL either. But it goes to show how not game-ready Haskins is. So whatever the quarterback situation for Washington turns out to be, uh, very problematic against the Patriots, who are the best secondary in the NFL. There's no questions about that. Um, a lot of people will point to the schedule. Uh, I think it's important when you're handicapping NFL that obviously looking at the schedule that the team has faced is very important. But what's important to consider is not just the win-loss record of those teams, but look at how a team has performed within the context of the game. So there's obviously, if you're facing the easiest schedule of opposing passing offenses like the Patriots have, you're expected to have very good numbers. But when you look at the passing success rate of those teams, just 32% against this Patriots defense, that's by far and away number one in the league. But you look how far above average that is. That's 15% above league average. So the Patriots overachieving against these poor teams it's very important to sort of parse that out and looking at the data and interpreting it and not necessarily just falling for the win-loss record of those teams or the overall numbers. You really want to look how a team is performing to expectation. And then we go to the other side of the ball, the opposing rush offenses that the Patriots have faced have been a lot better um, than the passing offense. But still, New England, 36% of rushes against have graded success. Well, that's 13% better than the league average. So this Patriots defense, yes, they've faced a very weak schedule. They don't get to pick the schedule. They just get to pick how they play. And everything down to down from the Patriots defense has far away been the number one unit in the NFL. Uh, very good matchup for them. I'm not running to lay 15 points on the road with any team in the NFL. Um, 
but certainly difficult to see this going any way that favors the Washington Redskins. So next up, it's the New York Jets at the Philadelphia Eagles. And obviously, we didn't have the benefit of the opening numbers when we did our, our episode early in the week. But you did say we'd see another big handicap. And surprise, surprise, you weren't wrong. Pinnacle opened up Philadelphia at minus 14. They stayed there for a while, and they've they've just dropped down to minus 13.5. The over-under has gone up up and down a bit from 44.5 to 43.5. We could see we could be about to see it tick up again. Um I'm sure it hasn't been a great season so far as a Jets fan, but if you or anyone else is betting on them, do you see anything here that suggests they could limit the Eagles to just a narrow win? Well, so again, it's it's almost the exact same handicap that can be applied as what we just talked about. So you look at the Jets, they face the most difficult schedule of passing defenses, and they've done so with a combination of Sam Darnold and Luke Falk. So, um, you have to sort of parse that up, but you look at the numbers again, the New York jets in terms of down to down success rate, they're 32nd in the NFL, 16% below average. So if you're looking for sort of optimism within the jets or a team that has faced a difficult schedule like that, you'd like to see them like sort of maybe just below average. But when you're looking at the team, that's far and away the worst in the NFL passing the football. And I mean, it's not even close explosive plays, um, they've only had one on the entire season. So everything from the Jets, extremely close to the line of scrimmage, extremely conservative under Adam Gaze, probably most concerning uh, when you're looking at run rates on second and long, uh, which is the most negative expected value play call in all of the NFL. Uh, the Jets have led the league by a enormous margin, passing on just 40% of second and longs. That's uh, a full 15% worse than the next team in the NFL, the Indianapolis Colts. So um, the play calling for the Jets has certainly not been doing them any favors. The ability to move the ball downfield, certainly not doing them any favors. And if you look at the handicap directly against the Philadelphia Eagles, the one spot where the Eagles are having a little bit of difficulty, which is mostly sort of fueled by injuries, is deep within the secondary. And you look at this game right now, three cornerbacks, potentially on the injury report, along with two defensive tackles. Not sure it necessarily matters, even if Sam Darnold comes back, because in those games under the Gase system, it's not like Darnold was forcing the ball downfield, and it was just a huge drop-off to Luke Falk. If you compare the numbers, you're looking at very similar passing stats between the two in terms of yards per attempt and air yards downfield per completion, as well as per throw. So um, even though Philadelphia has that week, this might be sort of masked a little bit by the Jets' inability to move the football downfield. I don't agree with bringing Darnold back this soon. Uh, he is practicing. I saw videos of to today running around the field, throwing footballs, uh, potentially because of that spleen that's sort of swollen up because of the illness that he has. One hit in the wrong spot. You never know what this could do for the franchise long term. Not necessarily really the spot you want to bring him back as a 14-point underdog, but uh, I really don't know how the Jets attack this Eagle secondary, just given the personnel that they have. Another game that really, it, I'm not running to lay this big of a number, uh, but it's difficult to make a case for the underdog again. So next up, the Houston Texans are hosting the Atlanta Falcons, and Houston's are favorites for another game despite some poor performances. They opened up at minus five, and they're still on that number. Um, the over-under has stayed pretty consistent as well, and it sits on the 49 that it opened at. So, I mean, this one seems pretty simple from a matchup perspective. Watson needs some pass protection if the if the Texans are going to get going. 
There doesn't seem to be a great deal in terms of pass rush from the Falcons. Are Houston the deserved favourites here? Well, on the Monday podcast, we talked about Atlanta money potentially coming in. Um, I know the traders were kind of expecting a little bit of it. We haven't necessarily seen that happen. I think it's a difficult handicap to make for the Atlanta Falcons. Certainly from the passing game, they have a, a pretty obvious advantage with Matt Ryan and the and the number of receivers that they have, which matched up against this Texans defense, which is one of the worst coach secondaries in the NFL, plays extremely soft in terms of zone. Uh, Matt Ryan, very good against the blitz. Um, also pretty good against pressure when it comes at him. But you look at the Falcons' offensive line, likely down three starters with two already long-term injuries. Um, lost lost Tamon Brown last week, so he's on the injury report coming into this one. So they're potentially playing with a couple of huge holes on the offensive line, which is never great against a team like the Houston Texans, uh, which can certainly generate a lot of pass rush. So even though Ryan has been decent against pressure throughout his career, um, certainly good when they bring those extra guys on the blitz to find his receivers. Against the soft coverage, you would think that there's a matchup advantage, but this offensive line, again, a lot of issues. So Houston can potentially blow up this game from the defensive line versus the offensive line perspective. And I think the same thing can be said on the other side. But you look at the Atlanta Falcons, injuries deep down the field. Deshaun Watson likes to throw deeper downfield than any quarterback in the NFL. So taking advantage of those holes in the secondary, certainly going to be able for something he's able to do if the Houston offensive line can provide him with a little bit of time. J- Grady, Garrett, uh, Grady Jarrett, that's a tongue twister of a name to say by itself, uh, as well as Tack McKinley, have been on and off the injury report for the last couple of weeks. Um, they've had some success generating pressure in the first couple of weeks, not so much last week, uh, but we'll see if the Falcons can generate a little bit of pressure, they can sort of stay competitive, but it's a big ask um, for them to do so. Numbers feels a little bit big initially uh, at five, so I would agree with the sentiment that this might come down to four and a half, four, four uh, but really one of the more unbettable games on the card for me this week. So straight on to the Buffalo Bills, the Tennessee Titans, and the odds suggest that this one's going to be tight, a low-scoring game. Uh, Pinnacle has the Titans at minus 2.5 with the over-under at 38.5. Now, there was a lot of focus on the Bills last week, and they did pretty well against the Patriots, but they'll be looking to get going with a win this week. Um, the Titans have been a bit hit and miss after that, that big week one win against the Browns. The traders think Tennessee should just edge it, but what about you? Uh, this one's actually come off of the board just sort of since we've started recording, and that's probably related to the status of Josh Allen, who left last week with a concussion. Um, Still uncertain as of this morning. They're going through practice right now as we're recording this. So uh, we won't necessarily know the status of Allen until a, a couple hours after we finish recording this. But should he not be able to start, we're probably going to see this number jump above three in favor of the Titans and go up a little bit. So it'll be interesting to monitor that situation. From just the, the total perspective, which we can sort of key in on, it, 38 and a half right now, we're probably not going to see too significant of a move on the total, depending if the Bills go with Allen or Barkley. Uh, you look at this Buffalo Bills defense, certainly very much for real, especially in the secondary. I think one of the more underrated secondaries in the NFL considering the schedule of opponents they've faced, 37% of passes they've allowed to create successful against them. That's the third highest mark in the NFL. But the way that they're doing it, um, extremely tight coverage, playing very well, a lot of continuity between the the defensive backs, very well-coached unit by Sean McDermott. So there's a lot to be excited about from the coverage perspective. One spot where they were weak 
and so there were questions they were against the run um, entering that New England game. They were bottom 10 in the NFL in many of the rushing metrics. Uh, did very well to hold the Patriots back, but you kind of look through some of the injuries the Patriots were dealing with on the offensive line as well as in the backfield and how true of a number that was sort of yet to be determined. So from a play-calling perspective, uh, Titans match up decently well against them. They like to run the football at a higher rate than league average, um, get the ball in Derrick Henry's hands. So potentially, if they're going to look at attacking this, um, from Mike Vrabel's perspective or Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator, there's probably going to be a lot of running within the game plan. Uh, you consider the Bills' coverage and then the uncertainty at quarterback. Uh, this total at 38 certainly makes a lot of sense to see it this low. I uh, still think there's sort of some lingering perception from the Titans' loss on Thursday night football against the Jags, uh, where they couldn't move the football at all. Uh, we saw one of the highest punt totals in a game in NFL history, so uh, could very well turn into one of those ugly games again with uh, some uncertainty on the Bills' offense and then this Bills' defense really being able to contain the Titans' passing attack. So low total and well justified in this one. And just to play out a, a hypothetical example here, if, you, if you've if you taken a number on the Bills or the Titans and news like this begins to break, are you then kind of sat there waiting for the, the new number to be put up and maybe look for, if you're looking to, to hedge out or, or maybe double down on something, how do you approach that? I think it's important to approach it situation by situation within this game specifically. Um, there's not a huge difference between Barkley and Allen. You'd like to have Allen in there just for the continuity of the first teamers and the offense as a whole. But certainly he's not, he, he's left some question marks with a couple of multiple turnover games, but really in this one with a low total, for instance, um, if it gets to something like three and a half, then that drastically changes the handicap because that point, point and a half, depending which number you were looking at before it went off the board with the total this low, uh, is much more valuable than potentially a point and a half move over the, the key number in a game like the Colts and Chiefs with a total of 57. So in a game like this where points are very much at a premium, uh, any sort of movement really makes you evaluate your handicap more from an injury perspective when there's not a huge, a huge downgrade, uh, more so than it would in a game with an enormous total where points aren't necessarily as valuable. And now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints. And this is one of the games where we've seen the most movement. Uh, the Saints opened up at minus four and a half. They're now sitting on minus three. Um, obviously, it's going to take quite a big move to get them through that number. And the, the over-under has also moved around a bit, but it now sits on 46 and a half. So the Saints have had a bit of a tough time this season. It seems like they're making good of a bad situation. It doesn't seem like the market is too confident in them, but maybe maybe it's because Tampa Bay are obviously coming in off that that weird win against the LA Rams. But on this one, are you with or are you against the market? I think it's one of the more powerful moves of the season. I would sort of classify that. Certainly one of the more influential moves that we've seen uh, in, in the first four weeks of the NFL season. Uh, probably well justified. And usually in years past, um, we've seen this sort of adjust. But you, you look at a team like the Saints, obviously the quarterback issue has well been adjusted for within the market. That, that new price point is probably set but you look at the last two weeks um in seattle they were outgained by 250 yards 1.7 yards per play a game that they only won because of some fortunate defensive and special team scores you go last week they get the win against the cowboys but they didn't score a touchdown in the game um they're also outgained by 0.7 yards per play in that one so back-to-back -back games where the saints 
probably get results they shouldn't have. And you can go back as far as even week one. You look at that late drive with 30 seconds left in the game where the Saints moved the ball downfield, kicked the late field the goal to get out of the game with the win. This season for the Saints could look very differently. And really there hasn't been a lot of information that we can point to to say that the Saints are deserving of this high price point. So you match them up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Usually stuff like that doesn't get factored into the market as quickly as we've seen it this year. This number was almost instantly corrected. Uh, moving down from four and a half to three. There were some other places, uh, Las Vegas Casino specifically, opened this game, Tampa Bay six and a half. So we're seeing some pretty enormous adjustment in favor of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think a lot of that, like you mentioned, off the 55 to 45 win or 55-40, enormous performance for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. But also a lot of that really going against the Saints and sort of their back-to-back, we can almost call it fraudulent victories in a way, Uh, that they were able to get out with. The really big matchup thing as well that supports that is if you look at this Tampa Bay defense, the front seven, arguably the best in football. And again, we always point to the schedule in this case. You're looking at success rate against on teams running the football. Tampa Bay ranks number one in that regard, even better than New England, the defense we just talked about. So Tampa Bay number one in rush defense success rate. But that's come against the fourth most difficult schedule So we did a couple schedule versus performance analysis with the Jets and the Patriots where you're looking at the sort of extremes. But now you get a case for a team performing extremely well, but doing so against a very difficult schedule of opponents. So now matched up against the Saints, uh, who have Alvin Kamara in the backfield, uh, you have to think that the Buccaneers can hold their own and shut down the Saints running attack, which really puts the blunt of this offense on Teddy Bridgewater. And if there's a vulnerability in the Tampa Bay defense, it is the secondary. However, if you look at Teddy Bridgewater, the lowest intended air yards of any quarterback in the NFL through week four at 5.5. But then you also look at the catch air yards, which is if he can, if he completes a pass, where do the receivers catch the ball in relation to the line of scrimmage? Just 3.5, which is better than only Mason Rudolph and Sam Darnold, two guys we talked about uh, being part of very inefficient offenses in Pittsburgh and the Jets. So really, is he going to be able to push the ball downfield and take advantage of this Tampa Bay defense and their weakness in the secondary? I'm not so, I'm not so, so sure about that. Um, so it gets to be a really interesting matchup from that perspective. And then the Bucks, Jameis Winston, really hit and miss. Uh, if he has to throw the ball less than 10 yards, one of the worst passers in the NFL – If he has to throw it 10 yards or further downfield, uh, he ranks seventh best in the NFL. So it's all about whether or not Jameis is able to push the ball downfield. Comes a lot to the protection that he's going to get in the pocket. If he has time to throw, he's been very efficient this season. So uh, I think at this point with the number where it is, uh, a lot of the value gone with Tampa Bay. If anyone's listening to the podcast and they were able to get the Buccaneers early Monday morning, uh, right after Pinnacle opened the numbers, uh, then that's great. you got a great bet sitting in your account. You should be quite pleased with the sort of equity that's gained off of that. But right now, looking at the number, it's not a game that I can bet. So our next game sees the Denver Broncos travel to the LA Chargers, and there hasn't been much in the way of movement here. The Chargers are still on the, the minus 6.5 that they opened up at. Um, the over-under has moved, but only just. It started on 44. It's now 44.5. Um I don't think many people have been overly impressed with either of these two teams. You were talking about the Saints maybe getting a bit lucky. It feels like the Broncos have perhaps been a little bit unlucky with some of their games, but 
the market certainly doesn't seem to think that the Broncos are going to get their season going with a road trip to LA. But what, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I tend to like to talk a decent amount, especially about football. But this is one game where I really don't have a lot to talk about. Uh, I think it comes down to uh, the, the number being priced very well. Um, price point for both teams is quite fair as is the total, I guess for anyone looking to bet this game, and there certainly have not been very many, that probably changes on Sunday when a lot of bettors realize that there's only two games played on the afternoon slate and they're going to have to pick between this one and Green Bay and Dallas. Uh, my advice for that sort of pick is don't bet because <laughs> neither of these games present a lot of value. Uh, but if you are going to be sort of looking at this game and trying to handicap it, something to consider Chargers have a ton of injuries, and it's not necessarily uncommon for the Chargers to have injuries with that medical staff in L.A. being one of the worst in the NFL. But you look, four wide receivers, tight ends, William Benjamin, Henry and Green, an offensive tackle, Okung, a safety, James, who's out long term. You get a defensive end, Ingram. You get a linebacker, Perryman. They're down to their third stringer on safety. There's a couple other guys I missed. I mean, there's injuries all over this team that they're going to be pushing their depth chart to fill in. Uh, from the Broncos' perspective, two key defensive backs, Callahan and Jackson, um, both find their way on the injury report. So matched up against each other, there's certainly potential for both of these offenses to find success. Um, it, it's just a game that that I want to stay away from. There's too many question marks. It's just ugly all the way around. Easy. Straight on to the Green Bay Packers at the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Green Bay Packers at Dallas Cowboys. Um this is one that on paper potentially looked like it could generate some interest, but it seems like the traders have done a, done a good job and everyone seems to be pretty split on it. The The Cowboys opened up at minus three and a half. They still sit on that number while the over-unders dropped ever so slightly from 47 to 46 and a half. So it's an interesting matchup because we've probably got one of the most underrated teams before the season started coming up against maybe one of the most overrated teams. So we've now got some games on the board. The market seems to be adjusting. Do you think the market's right on this? I think we'll probably see it come down to a flat three at some point before kickoff or a very, a very expensive three and a half in favor of the Green Bay Packers might see this number flip around a little bit. But uh, it's a fun handicap, right? Because it's it's the ultimate who's who situation. We've saw both of these teams get out to three and starts straight up against the spread, came flying out of the gate. Uh, and then last week, both teams on primetime embarrassed themselves. And so both teams come into this game with a lot of negative perception around them, but a lot of question marks, more importantly, right? So we look at the Green Bay Packers. One thing that we know for sure is that they're deadly in coverage, 39% passing success rate against. That's fourth in the NFL. But what I like most about this team is the speed that they can play with. They've got a ton of defensive backs. They're not afraid to play dime coverage. Where that sort of burned them, though, was in the decision-making. Mike Pettin decided to play dime defense against the Eagles' running front and thought that, for whatever reason, on third down and short consistently throughout the game, he was going to put 210-pound defensive backs on 310-pound offensive linemen and find a way to have success stopping the run against the Eagles, who consistently just ran the football against this defensive look from the Green Bay Packers and had a ton of success doing it. So despite having a ton of great talent on the board for the first time all season, we really saw Mike Pettin mismanage that talent. And whether that was the short week, um, not giving him enough prep time to sort of come up with an effective game plan to take on this Eagles offense, I, I don't know. But it was interesting to see that sort of 
play out from the Packers. But what we did see on the other side was Aaron Rodgers' return to sort of the Aaron Rodgers form that we're used to seeing. This offense for the Packers looked as good as it's looked throughout this course of the season. Some questions with Devontae Adams going into this game as well, looking doubtful with turf toe, so that's going to be an enormous loss. Um, still an outside chance that he can potentially play, but we'll see how that plays out in the next 48 hours. But the question when you're handicapping Green Bay is, let's say that both the offense and the defense sort of regress to where they're supposed to be. So if we're looking at the Green Bay Packers team as a whole, is this Packers team better with a top 10 defense and a top 15 offense? Or are they better with a top 10 offense and a top 15 defense? So if you believe what you saw Thursday night, I think a lot of people would say the latter, where if the offense is better for this Packers team and the defense can just be average or better, well, then this team is going to be better off in the long run. But if you're going the other way and you're looking at a defense, which is top 10, and an offense which is just about average, you're probably going to say that this team might be worse off overall. So it really depends on your perspective of what you see the Packers coming to. But matched up against the Dallas Cowboys, I think it's a pretty favorable position in both regards. If there's one spot where the Cowboys can potentially exploit this Packers defense, it is, again, running the football if Mike Pettin doesn't decide to change out his personnel. And we're probably going to see a bit of uh, conflict on his end because he wants to keep those defensive backs in to defend this passing attack, which has been very effective off of play action. But uh, it, it sort of puts him in a bit of a bind. But I do think that the Cowboys probably have success moving the football. But again, it comes down to decision-making on the other end. We saw Kellen Moore through the first three weeks where the Cowboys really exceeded expectation, throwing the football on 63% of early down situations. Sunday night football against the Saints, the most important game of the season to date for the Dallas Cowboys. He reverts back to the old style of Dallas play, runs the football on 51% of early down situations. And the Cowboys, despite scoring the only touchdown in the game, end up losing and their offense stalls overall so play calling from kellen moore's perspective really reverted back to what cowboys fans will remember from last year and a couple seasons prior uh where they just weren't doing anything that put them in a positive expectation um on success to move the football down the field you also look at this sort of dallas defense um eli manning case keenum rosen and bridgewater uh they've allowed 49 percent of passes to great successful that's 26th in the nfl so again performance versus schedule they faced four well below average quarterbacks one of them no longer playing in the nfl potentially two of the four no longer playing with case kingdom status uncertain for the rookie coming in in washington and they've only put up a mark that ranks 26th in the nfl so if you're believing that the packers are closer to what we saw on thursday night then you have to think that green bay has success moving the football in this game so a lot of back and forth a lot of who's who in this handicap a game I'm probably going to be on the sidelines for because I'm really looking forward to next week with the Packers-Lions game setting up for potentially a very big bet on the Green Bay Packers in a favorable situation if the Cowboys come out here and really run up the scoreboard on the Packers who hopefully make some poor decisions. Uh, I'd rather wait for next week in that situation they can set up rather than force something here this on Sunday afternoon. Thinking ahead, I like it. If you're not thinking ahead, you're already dead. Right, so we've got the Indianapolis Colts at the Kansas City Chiefs, and surprise, surprise, we've got another big handicap on Kansas City here. Um, the market seems to want more of them. They've gone from minus 10 to minus 11. Unsurprisingly, again, it's another big over-under. It's currently on 46 after opening up at 47. 
Um, the Chiefs look like they're going to keep up that perfect record, but I think it's more about how do they approach the game and, and whether they can limit the Colts. So what do you think? It's very difficult to have a level-headed, reasonable conversation at any point on Twitter. Um, but I did go out and I posted sort of my power ratings for the top five in the NFL. And I had the Chiefs at number two, but I also cited that the Chiefs of any team within the top five have the biggest weakness. And the analytic community is probably going to jump on me for saying this because there's such a disregard for run defense. But the Chiefs probably have the worst run defense we've seen in a number of seasons in the NFL. And as betters, we're a little bit numb to it, right? Because for about the last three or four seasons, the Chiefs have never had a good run defense. And ultimately, it's ended up costing them against the New England Patriots uh, last season to an extent against the Baltimore Ravens. But when you get later in the season, not necessarily because of the weather, but just how other teams in the AFC set up, um, it becomes a huge vulnerability for this team. You think back to last year, there were two drives from the two games against the Patriots where uh, New England took the field. On, it, la- it was one in the late fourth quarter and then obviously the overtime one. Uh, but they were able to just do whatever they wanted with the football against this Kansas City defense. And the Chiefs have tried to sort of upgrade their pass rush and their secondary, which has worked to an extent. But it's really come at the blunt of this run defense, which is allowing 58% of runs to grade successful. They're 32nd in the qualitative pro football focus grades. Um, and they've only faced a schedule of teams with slightly above average rushing efficiency, 14th in that regard. So if teams want to move the football on the Kansas City Chiefs, they can certainly do so. And we saw a running team in Detroit, which has had uh, no success running the football really for the last couple of seasons and didn't do much to improve their running game this year. Uh, they they did whatever they wanted on the ground against the Kansas City Chiefs. And if not for that huge defensive play, uh, that result's probably going in favor of the Detroit Lions as a pretty significant home underdog and upsetting the Kansas City Chiefs. So it, it's interesting to see that perspective. And now from this matchup, they go against the Colts, uh, one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. Marlon Mack, he, what, he didn't return after an injury last game, um, but it was never medically ruled out. So whether that's a bit of looking ahead from the point of the Colts coaching staff, knowing that that Raiders game was really out of reach and they were sort of um, maybe more focused on this one or anticipating what was to come. But um, I think reading between the lines from that and some of the stuff that's come out this week, probably looking at a situation where Marlon Mack and this Colts running game uh, is a big part of the game plan, trying to shorten up the game, make it a little bit lower variance than the high total suggests. Uh, it works into Indianapolis's benefit if they can really possess the ball, um, keep that Kansas City Chiefs offense on the sideline. And that and that's really true through how they play with Jacoby Brissett, who's been efficient, but it, it's all been very conservative in terms of the play calling, keeping it close to the line of scrimmage. So it's a case where everything benefits the Colts if they're able to possess the ball, shorten this game, and make it much more low variance. And they certainly have the personnel to do that. And I don't think Kansas City defensively has the personnel to stop them where I get into a little bit of an issue from the handicap and the side perspective is the Colts are going to be without Malik Hooker, key safety, Darius Leonard, still not practicing. Um, They're also potentially without T Y Hilton for a second week. I have to think he suits up for this game though, but some key injuries on defense uh, as well as an injury to their biggest playmaker on offense. So um, we'll see if Kansas city, uh, I don't know how the Colts necessarily slowed them down defensively. But again, it's all about Indianapolis holding the football 
in this case. So from a, from a handicap perspective, there's certainly holes in, in the Colts from a defense perspective. But I think naturally, just sort of playing this out, it really works in favor of the under on this one. Pretty high total. Uh, looking at a 57 or a cheap 56 and a half. Colts overall, six this year in yards per drive. So they, they've been able to sustain those long drives. If that's really a point of focus and they're able to keep this competitive and in a neutral game state, at least for the first half, uh, we probably see this play out towards the under. And if you go the other extreme and look at the Chiefs getting out to like a 21, 28 nothing lead and really sort of blow out can't Indianapolis early, uh, then you have to look to the Chiefs who have taken their foot off the gas the last couple of weeks, especially in the second half when they haven't had to play catch-up in terms of their play calling running the football. So uh, I, I think a lot of things point to the under in this game. Yeah, and I think if it's on the 46 that I, I mistakenly quoted that, then you might want to take the over. Yeah, well, if you're getting 10 points better than the number, then yeah, that changes a bit. But, but at 56, you're probably looking to the under here. So last up, we've got Cleveland Browns at the San Francisco 49ers, and the, the 49ers have gone out half a point on the handicap since this one opened. They're currently on minus 3.5. The over-under has also moved slightly as it's dropped from 47.5 to 46.5. So it's the final game of Week 5, and it looks like it could be a good one. Um, there's plenty, there was plenty of talk about the Browns in preseason, and they haven't really done much to back it up. The 49ers, on the flip side of that, they've looked pretty decent, and they'll be coming into this week fresh after a rest. Um, it could be a close one, but what do you think? So the 49ers entered the season with arguably the worst secondary in the NFL. And I don't think anyone was necessarily going to debate that. Uh, last year, it was an absolute atrocious, uh, an absolutely atrocious unit overall. And uh, they didn't do anything to upgrade it. They signed Richard Sherman. Great. But like, how far is that going to take you when you're relying on an old cornerback? But um Personal feelings aside, you look at the teams that they faced so far this year, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Cincinnati Bengals, and the Pittsburgh Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger as an overall schedule of passing efficiency of opponents. Uh, that's the second easiest schedule in the NFL. And if we're going to look at the rushing efficiency of opponents as well, San Francisco, fourth easiest. So you're looking at some of these success rate numbers, 32% passing success rate allowed 11, uh, that, that's second in the league, and then they're 11th in the rush, 46% against. Those numbers do not tell the whole story of the San Francisco 49ers defense, which personally I think from a coverage perspective is going to end up finishing the season as a bottom five unit. I think that they wildly regress back to that. But even throughout these three weeks, um, very easy schedule of opponents. They've struggled tackling. They've missed a ton of tackles have not been efficient in that regard. And this pass rush that was really highly touted, uh, really not getting home. They're grading out in the bottom 10 in the NFL in terms of pass rushing statistics. Um, so I have a lot of questions about this defense going forward long term. The Browns uh, really lined up well against um, the Ravens last week. And we sort of talked about that on the podcast, how potentially Cleveland could sort of back their way into a successful game plan against the Baltimore Ravens secondary. Uh, Personnel-wise, they were much better play calling. Uh, the routes were a lot better as well. But the big thing for me was Baker Mayfield in the pocket. He was extremely jumpy um, in the first three weeks. We almost sometimes forget uh, about how young Baker Mayfield is. But um, he still has, I think just after last week, now he's fully completed um, 17 starts in the NFL. and So it's like a full season for him. Uh, but the first three weeks, it was just a lot of bad habits 
coming through on tape and a lot of big situations for the Cleveland Browns team as a whole. But we really saw everything calm down a lot against the Ravens. Uh, got Chubb involved within the running game, provided a little bit of balance. But now they get uh, the extra day preparation time. They get to come to San Francisco and face this defense, which I think is wildly overrated. And I'm not necessarily making a case for the Cleveland Browns to cover here. Uh, I, I think that the San Francisco 49ers, the, the matchup that they have on their offense against this Browns defense, which is still going to potentially be without two corners uh, with the extra week to prepare for Kyle Shanahan, going to be able to put together a game plan that it, it allows the 49ers to move the ball with relative ease against this Browns defense. But where I think this matches up really well is is on this total at 46 and a half. It's come down a little bit. I think there's uh, two things here. So uh, overall, that perception of the 49ers defense being better than it is, not necessarily realized within this number. Uh, but then also there was a lot of conflicting reports of win. And there's a very good article up on the Pinnacle article section, the resources where it analyzes win versus NFL and how it affects the total. In San Francisco, if you've ever been there, anyone listening, you know how quickly the forecast changed. For looking sort of a couple days ago, there was 25 mile an hour winds forecasted for this game. That's now dropped all the way down to about 12 miles per hour. So a ton of uncertainty about the weather, but at that 25 mile per hour mark, that suggests the total uh, that should be in like the 39 to 40 point range. And certainly over the last couple of years, we've seen these win games where the total absolutely plummets. The points scored average in those is about 35 to 36. So still there's that gap of about three points. So I think that combined with sort of the perception of the 49ers defense being better than it is brought this total down a little bit. Now at 46 and a half, we're probably going to see that revert back with the forecast being pretty positive. You get the 49ers defense, which I think is the most overrated unit in the NFL at the moment. Uh, but then you also get the Browns defense overrated quite a bit overall. They've relied on their pass rush for a lot of their success going against one of the top five offensive lines in San Francisco. You get the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan with an extra week of preparation for this defense. Browns missing a couple key pieces in the secondary to injury. Uh, there's a lot of things to point for offensive success. I'm having, you can tell the podcast is going long when I'm having trouble saying success, but I think both of these teams move the football quite well. Uh, I think it plays out very nicely for an over in this game on Monday Night Football. Limited success saying success. There we go. It's it, it gets to you after you're saying it about 15 times within an hour. But I think we've made it and hopefully given everyone listening a lot to think about for week five. Well, that's it. Another episode down and we can really start looking forward to that week five action. And to be honest, I don't know what I'm more excited about. What we'll see on the football field or, or your next installment of your barbecue adventures. I believe there. Well, Canadian Thanksgiving is around the corner. There's some debate within the family whether we're smoking a turkey or whether we're going with just... A, a big pork butt for pulled pork sandwiches, but I'm certainly on the, the bandwagon of the latter, but I have a feeling that turkey might win out just because of the tradition for the holiday. And Pinnacle's barbecue podcast might soon be on the way. We can make it happen. <laughs> but more on the NFL, I mean, thanks again. Plenty of information there for our listeners to digest and take into their odds analysis. And anyone listening out there, you can visit pinnacle.com to see all the latest NFL odds and, and see if you can find the value. And as always, please gamble responsibly. 